Hello and welcome to The Briefing. It is the podcast that gets the latest news headlines straight into your headphones. I am Jan Fran. Today is Wednesday, October 7th. An anarchist Methurst is with me and has no doubt spent all of last night poring over very long budget documents, Annika. <laughs> Just for you, just for you, and I went I in there. So greatly appreciate it too. <laughs> Look, most people might not have cared about budgets in the past. That's understandable. But if you're going to care about one budget ever, make it this one. The government is injecting some serious cash into the economy, and it could help you out. We have gone into recession. There are extraordinary circumstances, but what they need to do is to make sure we come out of it as quickly as possible. Yes, that there is our former treasurer Wayne Swan. And Annika and Jamila are going to be speaking to him in just a little bit as we break down the budget. What is it? What does it mean for you? How does it all work with Wayne Swan a little bit later? Before we get to that, though, let's hit the news. In 2020, Australians have been tested like never before. Flood, fires, drought and a global pandemic. So many Australians through no fault of their own, are doing it tough. Lives have been lost. Businesses have closed. Jobs have gone. Our cherished way of life has been put on hold. Yes, it is the most significant budget in living memory. That's right. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has has his work cut out for him this year and he's delivered a budget that includes tax cuts for 11 million Aussies. There's also cash for bosses who hire unemployed workers. That's going to be called Job Maker. And for people who buy their first home, there's also going to be a little extra help. And tax write-offs for businesses to encourage spending. Yeah, the bottom line, though, it still doesn't look great. Um, The deficit this year will dwarf any budget shortfall in history with the government spending $213.7 billion more than it will collect. Net debt will increase to $703 billion or 36% of GDP this year and peak at $966 billion or 44% of GDP in June 2024. Okay, there's a bit to get through here, so we're going to try and sum it up as quickly as what we can. Let's break it down, starting with the tax cuts, Annika. So these personal income tax cuts will actually be backdated to July 1 of this year instead of July 2022. And what it means is for individuals, you'll get, for most workers, just over $1,000 back in your pocket when you do your tax return. While for dual income families, that could be almost $5,500. Yeah, then there's something called the job maker payments. That's basically cash in the hands of employers who give work to people that are currently unemployed due to COVID. Now, this is aimed at getting young people back into the workforce. It's $200 a week for anyone aged 16 to 30, and it's $100 a week for anyone aged 30 to 35. There's also an additional 10,000 places on the First Home Loan Deposit Scheme, which is set up for first home buyers uh, who only have a little bit of a deposit. They can actually get their loan guaranteed by the government, meaning you only need a 5% deposit to buy a house. Plus, 99% of Aussie businesses can now write off any asset they purchase for their business until June 2022. Yeah, here's opposition treasurer Jim Chalmers, though. He says it's not quite enough. There are 928,000 Australians on unemployment benefits who aren't eligible for any of these hiring subsidies. Uh, Too many people have been left out and left behind. Workers uh, over 35, for example. Mm, This budget is 
based on a lot of assumptions, one being that the extra money Australians find in their pockets will get spent. That's not a guarantee. We know that Australians have been saving significantly in the last six months. There's also uh, the assumption that there'll be a vaccine by the end of 2021 uh, and that there'll be no major second or in some cases third wave here in Australia. So there's a lot that we're assuming is going to happen. If any of that changes, it'll disrupt things pretty significantly. So it seems Maybe a bit too optimistic, Annika. Yeah, it also implies we'll live with social distancing until we get a vaccine and that the borders will reopen internationally in the middle of next year. Uh, The state borders a little bit sooner. We might see them, except for WA, open by the end of the year. And as you say, there has to be no second or third waves anywhere in Australia. So, look, it is an optimistic assumption and also significant about this budget is gone are the days when they're going to promise that we're getting back into surplus or pay off debt. In fact, the debt's going to keep rising until 2024. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be hearing people talking about getting back in the black (laughs) for a while. We're definitely in the red here. Out of hospital and straight onto Twitter again, Donald Trump's declared he's feeling really good after his stint in hospital with COVID-19. I could have left two days ago. Two days ago, I felt great, like better than I have in a long time. I said just recently, better than 20 years ago. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Yeah, not surprisingly, he's tweeted that to his 87 million Twitter followers overnight. Um, All up, Donald Trump spent three nights in hospital with the virus and doctors have confirmed that, yes, he did need some oxygen. But as he says, he is feeling better, better, in fact, than what he felt 20 years ago. Um, He is isolating currently in the White House with the First Lady Melania Trump. Now, he says he's looking forward to next week's debate with opponent Joe Biden. That's scheduled for October 15. According to the US Centre for Disease Control, those who contract the virus are considered contagious 10 to 20 days from the onset of symptoms. That occurred for Trump on October 1. So there's still a chance he might be infectious and we're not sure how that debate's going to go ahead. Yeah. Is it going to be in separate rooms? Are they going to put up some, you know, massive screens between the two? Who knows? Maybe it'll happen on Zoom. (laughs) I'm not even sure he's going to be okay. We've got to remember this virus is actually at its worst after 10 days and we haven't even got there with Trump yet. All right. I'm heading out up next. Annika's sticking around and Jamila's joining her to talk budget. You will have heard a lot about the federal budget in the past 24 hours, including a lot of very big so big they feel incomprehensible, numbers being thrown around as the government spends big to try and reboot the economy. Now, I'm a press gallery journalist and Jamila worked for the Rudd and Gillard government, so we're super nerds on this stuff. But if you've never been interested in a federal budget, like most normal people, this is actually probably a really good time to start thinking about it. What you'll see in the budget is a vote of confidence in the Australian economy, the vote of confidence in Australians and that they, working together, will lift our economy out of the the heavy blow that has suffered, and that will give people hope. The budget is normally handed down in May, but this year it's been delayed while the government focuses on the coronavirus outbreak and rethinks their approach to an economy that's in trouble. 18 months ago, though, the Treasurer was saying this. Tonight, I announce that the budget is back in the black and Australia is back on track. For the first time in 12 years, our nation is again paying its own way. 
So that was Josh Frydenberg last year when he had high hopes for the budget. Now, what is the budget? It's basically a document or series of documents, big books actually, that set out the estimated amount of the money the government think they'll bring in through taxes and also how they intend to spend it over the next four years. In a normal year, the government has, say, $500 billion to play with. That's a lot of money. It really is, Jamila. It's terrifying, actually. I can't even understand it. But how would you allocate it? Now, you're a staffer, so you've got a little bit of an advantage here, but let's just play a game for a minute. How much would you allocate to, say, social security and welfare? That's the amount we pay in aged pensions or unemployment benefits. Uh, lots. I would allocate <laughs> lots. Uh, let's let's give that $100 billion. $100 billion. Look, that would be about a fifth. It's actually a lot more. That is the biggest category from the budget. So about one in three tax dollars goes towards that category. Now, that is disability payments, family payments, unemployment payments, as I say. What do you reckon the next highest category is? Um, or maybe guns and stuff. Let's go defence. <laughs> it's not. It's actually health. And that's oh, going to be even higher this year, of course, because we're in a pandemic. Look, just to run through the next ones for people playing at home, it usually goes defence or education, depending on what year it is. The fifth highest bill is paying the wages of the public service. And then usually somewhere around there, it's paying down debt. And we know we're going to have more of that. Someone whose guesses and analysis is far more accurate than mine is former Treasurer and Deputy Prime Minister Wayne Swan. He joins us now from Canberra. Wayne, you were the last Australian Treasurer to experience a cataclysmic world event that shifted our financial fortunes and threw a budget tally out of whack. Do you sympathise with Josh Frydenberg's job? Oh, I certainly know how he feels. I mean, we, we had a global financial meltdown where Basically, we didn't know uh, what the outcome was going to be for something like nine to 12 months. So uh, it was a roller coaster uh, and it was tough. It was intense. Uh, it not only involved uh, normal budgets, it also involved uh, two huge economic stimulus packages and an incredible amount of international travel uh, as we tried to coordinate the global response to what had been then the biggest collapse in the global economy since the Great Depression. So it was exhausting. And I can only imagine that the pace now uh, is, is, is of that nature. Uh, but the task is probably even bigger uh, than it was uh, 12 years ago. So I got some idea of what, what they're up against. I mean, and then, of course, Budget Day uh, is the most exhausting day uh, that there is in politics for any politician. So you throw all those things together, he's probably a bit wrung out today. Wayne, you not only were you, you know, at the helm during such a significant time, you were also named the world's best treasurer. So you're perfectly placed to tell us what the preparation process is like for a budget. How far out do we start planning them? And is it just that you start with sort of a, you know, last year's books and you update them? And what would something like a pandemic do to it? Well, it, it throws it all up in the air. A normal budget would start really seriously four to five months out. And then, of course, in the last two months and the last month, the pace just increases. But when you throw in, uh, as uh, Treasurer Frydenberg has got now, a huge change in the nature of the economy, a huge drop in demand in the middle of that process, it just makes that all the more difficult. They probably had to go back to the drawing board a number of times uh, through the normal four to five month process that they will be going through. So 
it would have been pretty uh, pretty chaotic, incredibly intense, uh, and uh, a lot of stress. Now we all have household budgets, and sometimes we try and allocate a little bit more cash to things we like shoes, whatever that happens to be for your own self. You can buy a lot of shoes with a federal budget. <laughs> with the hundreds of billions of dollars you've got. I just wondered, what are some of the sort of, you know, ridiculous requests do you get? And how hard is it to say to some ministers, no, that's outrageous, come back with a better option? Well, that, that's what the four to five month process I was talking about before is all about. Uh, you have the ministers coming in, making their claims, and generally you're saying no. Um, so uh, when you're a treasurer, you say, you say no a lot. Uh, so it's always a real joy to say yes occasionally and make somebody very happy. Wayne, you were attacked by the coalition during the GFC for spending big in order to stimulate the economy. In today's money, uh, you and the Rudd government spent around $80 billion. That's a figure that this government's now blown out of the water during the coronavirus pandemic. I know you're supportive of them keeping people in jobs and spending to keep people in jobs, but do you feel a little bit bitter? Oh, no. I mean, the the deficit that they vilified me for uh, was uh, for $50 billion. They're like, they have bought down one that's four times that size, four times that $200 billion, uh, roughly of, of that nature. So I'm just pleased uh, for the country uh, that, they have seen the sense in stimulating the economy to counteract uh, the impact uh, of the pandemic and the global meltdown. Where I'm critical is uh, that they've not necessarily done enough for long enough. The size of the stimulus matters, the shape of the stimulus matters, and the length of the stimulus matters. So time will tell whether they've got the balance right, uh, but I'm pleased uh, that they've finally acknowledged uh, that what we did in the global financial crisis was absolutely the right thing. I, I will never, as a treasurer, have the, the word recession stamped uh, on my record uh, because we did take action. That meant that we were the only developed economy in the Western world that didn't go into recession. Now, that's not going to be possible uh, for this government. We have gone into recession. There are extraordinary circumstances. But what they need to do is to make sure we come out of it as quickly as possible. Now, when, when you're dealing with federal budgets, you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. So when you were in the role, how did you, I guess, take those huge numbers and think about individuals and their circumstances? Was there any formula you sort of used to hone in how families might be doing? Absolutely. Um, the first thing you have to have in your mind is the needs of uh, ordinary Australians, wherever they live, whatever their circumstances. And it was always about what it meant for people who were living, if you like, in the neighbourhoods that I represent, which is quite diverse. Uh, and it's also about those areas that you're not as familiar with. So as a, as a minister, you then move around the country and you have an idea of uh, the diversity of the country. So whether it's city or country, you always think about it. What's it mean in terms of someone in Zilmere or what does it mean in terms of someone, you know, in Cairns or Darwin or... Perth or whatever. That's how you think about it. And there's also a budget submission process where groups can put forward, you know, Too ideas right, yeah. asking for tax breaks or extra cash. Obviously, when one group gets money or gets that tax break, it has to come from somewhere else. So how do you, I guess, weigh up those decisions? Well, that's that's the whole task of the budget is to, to make sure that over time you get the mix of, of your measures right, that you promote uh, growth, but spread it around as fairly uh, as you possibly can. So 
you've got to try and ensure that uh, people don't feel left behind, that, that there's a degree of integrity uh, in the process. So there, there will always be people who, who didn't necessarily get what they were expecting. Uh, and you have to deal with that. You have to stand your ground. You have to argue the case. But you can only do that if you have prepared a, a total package that looks like it's it's considered everybody's needs and, and is fair. I want to ask about young people, Wayne, because we know that young people tend to earn less. I mean, you, you're just getting started in your career. You haven't worked your way through the system. You're not as experienced. And yet we're going to see the tax cuts for high income earners from 2022 being brought right forward. Is that the right call in a period of frugality? And are young people rightly a bit frustrated by that? Well, I think young people are bearing the brunt of this recession. There's absolutely no question uh, about that. They tend to be in the more marginalised jobs, the more insecure jobs, uh, the user mid uh, jobs and so on. All of that is true. Plus, you know, the, the, the vandalism, if you like, of the tertiary education sector uh, and its contribution to the economy also blows back on um, the many young people in our community. So I do, I do think um, many of them uh, are going to be particularly unhappy. You know, what we have to do in this community is have a greater degree of fairness and this government, with its legislative tax cuts, has them ultimately pointed at the highest income earners in the community. To my way of thinking, that is dramatically unfair uh, and it does discriminate against subsequent generations who are not the beneficiary of those of those tax cuts. So there's a fundamental difference between the, 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 Labor, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party on the distribution of, of the legislative tax cuts because they are obscenely tilted towards the top end of the income distribution. That was Wayne Swan, previously Deputy Prime Minister and Treasurer of Australia and once named the world's best treasurer. Now, Jamila, you might not agree with me, but as somebody who doesn't have children, I always wondered why there wasn't more in these budgets for, say, women in their 20s and 30s, maybe a subsidy for shoes or something, because they want us to spend, right? It's really important we don't save this money, whereas families are more likely to save it. Now, you've got a husband and a lovely young boy. What do you think about that? Hey, as a woman in her 30s with a husband and a young boy, I'm quite into the shoes idea as well, to be honest. Yep, still into the (laughs) shoes. I concur. More so than childcare? I don't know. (laughs) Now, tomorrow, we're going to take a closer look at some of those measures, including one that could make it a little easier to get into your first home. Don't forget to subscribe to us at the Podcast One Australia app or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, the best way to support us is to tell a friend. A Podcast One production.